Hello! Welcome to Free Will, Science, and Religion. I'm Chandler Klebs, and I'm here with Quaid, George Ortega, and David Joseph. And this episode is going to be a little bit of revisiting of what we've talked about in the last two podcasts. We talked about a resource-based economy and the Venus Project a little bit. And then um, two weeks ago, I think it might have been. And then last week, um, we... We talked about the God thing. George uh, is an acutheist, and he has a different view of God than than other people do. And since we have Quaid this time, Quaid will probably want to ask him a little bit about that. Um, and I think we can also mention, whenever we think of it, how f- the how rejecting the belief in free will has interrelated with our stance on a resource-based economy or the God thing, what the implications are of rejecting free will, how it might affect what we think of these other things. So what do you guys think so far? Sounds good. David, why don't you start us off with kind of like, you know, description of what the Venus Project is about. Uh, well, I kind of come at it from the point of the Zeitgeist Movement, which was the activist arm of the Venus Project. So they're kind of um, they're kind of sister organisations. They they promote basically the same thing. So it's just the case of um, implementing technology and the latest scientific research in order to create a society that isn't founded on money and you know selfish notions and greed and things like that. And um, yeah, just basically doing doing what you want to do for the sake of doing what you want to do, rather than doing what you have to do to earn money to survive. The elimination of scarcity is also a big factor in that, by the way. Have, have, you, have you kind of like done or has it been explained how we segue into something like that? For example, like, you know, like in, in, in a lot of different countries, especially developed countries, there are like studio apartments. Then there are one and two and three bedroom apartments. And then there are like, you know, little houses and bigger houses and mansions. So, like, how how does under that um, what you call it system, how do we decide who who lives where and, and stuff like that? Well, um, I mean, we we often get the question that uh, what happens if everyone wants a ten bedroom mansion with, uh, <laughs> with 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 two football pitches as a backyard? And the fact is that the planet can't sustain that kind of that kind of greed and that kind of selfishness. I mean, if everyone wants that now, what happens? Only a few people get it, and everybody else has to put up with whatever they can manage. So no, but how about society, basically what it is right now? Right. So, like, but but I'm not referring to building new mansions. I'm like, we've got mansions now. We've got like, so like, what um, what do we do? You know, who 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 lives in the studio apartments? Who lives in the in the houses? Well, well, they're they're actually quite inefficient. So ideally, they would be taken down, and whatever could be recycled would be recycled. And so you would houses? have to deny. Yeah deny certain people um, their wants or their wills, basically. Like, um, they, the no. man you just have to tell them no. Well, no. The idea is to create a society where the desire for, for a mansion, that kind of selfish desire, doesn't exist. It would be seen as, as a sickness. Yeah. Okay, I get that, but, like, you know, like, in other words, like, it would seem, like, extremely expensive to to destroy like you know the, these houses that are already built i mean my god and then just what build apartments re- replace them with apartments i mean that 
you know, in, tor- in terms they, of resources. Sure. I mean, it, it's not it's not all going to be replaced by apartments or anything like that. The f- fact is that there's there's more sustainable technology out there than is being used right now because it's not cost effective. And so they're, they're building new houses, they're building new apartments right now, but they're not as energy efficient as they could be. They're not as recyclable as they could be. They're not as safe as they could be. And so really, ideally, you would need to, to take them down and recycle them. I'm, I'm guessing that wouldn't be the case in, in every scenario, but in the vast majority of scenarios, I think it would be more beneficial to take them down and just rebuild. Well, so my other question then is if, I mean, really what we're talking about is, it's kind of up in the air in some ways. It's kind of, it's, it's, an, it's an aspiring idea when we're talking about involving robotics and like stuff that, stuff like that is starting to come out. And it seems like we'll get to the point where what is being said is viable. Like we'll actually be able to do it considering the, the pace that technology is going. But at the same time, so with something like a mansion, um, you're talking about the terrain there. That's only real terrain. So, like, I mean, virtual reality is also taking on its its own endeavors. And so, like, once you no longer have to worry about space, the space of the Earth, because everything is virtual, you know, why can't people then just live the lives that they want to in their own virtual realities? You can have that mansion with two football field, you know, acres and still not impose on anybody else because it's a virtual terrain it's not real terrain Basically, i don't get that quaid i have no idea what does that mean i don't get that what do you... like, like like you're you're downloaded into the matrix like you don't have to worry about the space of the earth because the space of the earth can be whatever you create it to be yeah but how does that yeah. work like in tangible physical you know form i don't i, I you know maybe i'm <laughs> like i'm getting old <laughs> well yeah what? like Elon Musk has talked about this before, and I think it's really interesting. I don't think that he's fully right, but he does. I mean, what he's saying is correct. Like, if you look at the the way that like games have progressed from just like twenty to thirty years ago to what they are now, they are encompassing more of our senses. They will eventually get so good, good that we won't be able to tell the difference between real and 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 virtual. So, so like, we're we wear we're wear goggles like with like you know, huh? Okay. It wouldn't maybe not even goggles. Like once you know how to tap, once you know how to to transfer whatever electricity is is or whatever energy is being transmitted from from the brain to the spinal cord, you can just directly tap into that source. However, it happens. The point is, like a lot of engineers and and um, and uh, I don't know what they would be called, the, the the technicians for computers and stuff like that think that that will be possible. Like that you that that will basically get so good, they'll get so good at mimicking uh, reality that it will be indistinguishable from it. Kind of like Second second Life, a, uh, you know, yeah. like an advanced version of Second Life. Yeah, so at that point then, we don't have the same problems we have because you can, well, you can have that mansion then. And... Sure, sure. That's, that's an interesting idea. I hadn't actually heard about that until you just mentioned it. Yeah, but, well, it sounds um, a little bit like Minecraft. <laughs> Yeah, Well, yeah, because basically these game worlds will be huge where they're, you know, they're just gigantic. You can, you can plant your trees, you can build pyramids or huge mansions in the sky if you want even. And this provides a sort of entertainment that really is not taking up 
very much, if any, space because it's all in a computer game. You know what I mean? Yeah. And this provides people their it, it it gives them what they desire in a certain sense. I mean, look at how even sports video games have actually been, have become popular these days. I mean. Right. They're, they're, they're a lot safer than playing real football, too, and stuff. I, I, I would just add that the idea is to get rid of the um, value, the idea of, um, of wanting that that ten-housed mansion and the ten-bedroom yeah. mansion with, the, with yeah. the big garden and everything, because that's the kind of selfish behavior that promotes the, the idea that you deserve it, that you've done something to justify you having it. Where yeah. somebody else might not be allowed it or might not have it for some other reason. It's, yeah. it's the kind of free will mentality that we're, we're trying to get rid of to begin. Yeah. With. See, David Joseph is right on that because the pro so many of the so much of the scarcity in this world, so much of the very rich and the very poor, is based on the free will belief, and we have already talked about this in many episodes, where certain people feel like they're entitled to have more things. And so they don't like the idea of everything being distributed um, equally um, or according to people's needs um, because they just want to have everything that they might just feel like they want regardless about whether it takes away from what other people need. That's the I, problem. Is the I think the, the other thing we're talking about is cost efficiency. You know, virtual reality being so much less expensive than a physical reality. Yeah. But but here's the thing. So like then um, we could conceivably take it a step further. In other words, why do people want mansions or whatever we might create with virtual reality? And it always boils down to, well, you know, everybody just wants to be happier. You know, happiness is like <laughs> that's the only thing like kind of like neurobiologically that we we want. So, mm -hmm. I mean, like in terms of like cost efficiency, create an agent, you know, like a pill that just blisses people out. And all of a sudden, you know, like, you know, yeah, yeah. studio, that's fine. Imagine whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, here's the deal, George. I think that's a great thing we could go with. Let me let, let me run on a little thought experiment here with the happiness pill. Let's say somebody invents the happiness pill, but because they're selfish and they're under a capitalistic free will based system, they they want to people to buy that pill from them at a high price. So people have to pay for happiness in that sense. Therein comes the problem where there has to be a, a shift to where we make people happy and we get nothing in return for it. Well, Ch Chandler, if somebody did invent, you know, like a really effective, you know, relatively safe happiness pill and, and some pharmaceutical tried to kind of like bogart it, just like, you know, I'm telling you, the black market, either, either governments would like mandate that everybody gets it or the black market for it would just make it available to everyone because like something that good that's relatively safe, you know, you can't, you can't monopolize that, you know? It would have to be cheap, too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, but if it was cheap, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the point is, there are some things that everybody's got to have, just like, you know, we've got to have food, water, and shelter, basically. And so, here's, here's the thought, is, like, my idea of what I think a resource-based economy, and this isn't necessarily the, the way the Venus Project or the Zeitgeist Movement would necessarily say it, but my basic idea of how I think a resource-based economy would work is that first make sure 
Every, nobody's homeless. Nobody's hungry. You get what I'm saying? That's top priority. Whatever homes from those existing that you have, have available, or if you have to build new ones, and the new ones that would be built, of course, you could try to make them energy efficient. But the main point is we have people who are freezing and starving out in the uh, cold being homeless, even though, and there are all these vacant houses and apartments that nobody's living in because nobody has loads of money. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, and that's why I think that it's a it's like, yeah, I mean it's like the purpose of life is happiness, and things are only good if somebody is able if they're providing for somebody. So that's the deal is you can have enough houses, you can have even enough food uh, for a population, but if you require them to have money. Well, then the whole thing's blow because the food just rots and the, and the houses are vacant because they, these people don't have money. So that's the problem. I mean, you know, and so I think that, yeah, some things just have to be provided free. Like nobody should have to pay for, for there should be some food and, and water available for everyone. They should not have to pay for it. Yeah. yeah. Can we do that without a resource-based economy? Well, that's a good question. Um, it might be eventually good to get to that, but I am wondering about the trans. I, I'm just like George, like the transitions between everything, because when yeah, I, and quite we do that, we could our social safety net here in the United States. We would just have to expand it to the rest of the world. The what you mean the resource-based economy, or you yeah, no, in other words, like you know, we would you ask, could we do it um, in our regular economy now? Yeah, um, uh, yeah, and and we do that, for example, like you know, even like in the United States, I mean, like. You know, everybody gets or most people get health care, you know, um, you know, food stamps, uh, you know, all this stuff. So we just have to expand that to every country. Yeah. Yeah. There, there I mean, are organizations that are already taking steps towards this. There's um, something called Transition Towns. Huh. Uh, I, I think they're in the USA as well. They're quite popular over there. Um, they basically implement a, um, a system where it, it's uh, – I'm, I'm actually, I'm not entirely sure. You're going to have to look it up. I don't want to say anything and, and be completely wrong about it, but there are organizations that are taking steps towards a transition type of uh, type of environment for people. And of course, there's the equal money, equal income system as well that's been implemented in certain countries right now. So they're just testing it out. But if if previous results are anything to go by, it, then it's a lot healthier for society to to have but, like, like well, income. Well, as I understand it, though, this is like. Um it's confused a lot with communism and socialism. It's not communism and socialism from what I've gathered, but it is confused with it a lot, right? Yes, well, it communism is. is militaristic. That's like, you know, right. like, you know, invade a country, make them like, yeah. So and social, it's more That's like what socialism. It's associated with, yeah. It doesn't have to be though. I mean, it's more like, could... so, well, I mean, socialism, like, you know, the way people understand it today, young people, there's nothing really wrong with it to a great extent. Yeah. You know, it's, Right. I mean, like, David, does that um, how does the Venus Project address that? Well, there's no government, so I, I don't think you should no government. That. So yeah. That's what I was saying is this is like the libertarian argument. Like, I get it fundamentally. I understand it. I'm not saying it's exactly like the libertarian argument. Obviously, it's not. Or it's not like the libertarian worldview. But they a lot of the a lot of libertarians essentially have the same idea, which is no government. Right, but they want to get rid of government to to implement a free market capitalist kind of system. Yeah, to some extent, but they're, yeah, they're imagining that, that nothing is ever regulated. 
at all. Right, and you need right, a government right. for regulation, right? How do you regulate things without a government? Uh, well, the, like I said, the idea is to get people behaving properly rather than yeah, but how do you stay. do that? How, like, so for instance, I could think like, okay, well, those people obviously need to be educated. Maybe they need to take some type of psychological classes, but that would involve me regulating them doing those things. Well, perhaps to begin with, as it transitions over, sure. Okay. okay. The, the eventual, the eventual goal is to kind of have a society where where you don't have the same kind of influences that we have today. You know, environment right. influences behavior, so change the environment to influence behavior, basically. Yeah, I mean, ideally, it's best if everybody is just educated, compassionate people who all just does the the best possible thing, the right thing for everyone, and they don't have to have a government saying, "Well, you better do this, or we're going to throw you in jail or something." You know. Yeah, my question is, how do we get from from here to there? Yeah, that's yeah, my that's question. that's what I think we're concerned with. <laughs> and all these sure. different. So, like when when Karl Marx was originally talking, like he. He saw transitions. He thought he thought that communism was what it would end up at, that there were stages to, to get to that point. And then so then what is the next? So the Venus Project is like down the road and maybe libertarians on that spectrum somewhere, too, that will just happen to pass through it, getting to that type of um, system. Uh, but what is the first one? What is the first step kind of? Is it socialism, maybe? Because socialism, seem, like, it seems to come up a lot. Where end up, what we end up doing is providing for people, giving people essential needs, which is well, socialism. I think, I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with, with this idea I came up with in the mid-'80s. I mean, I've, I've called it different things. Back then, I was calling it, like, humanitarian capitalism, profit donation capitalism. And the idea behind this is, like, with, with our business today, you get somebody who sells products— and the profits go to that person, right? And so the, the idea behind this is like exactly what Paul Newman does. So you create companies like Newman's Own that donates 100% of their profits to countless charities. And, uh, you know, like Newman's been in business since 82, and he's like donated over $400 million, $450 million to different charities. So the idea is like with thousands or tens of thousands of companies like that, you could kind of like both maintain the profit motive that because like in other words people who are ambitious they want to kind of like have their their ambition rewarded in other words it, it seems unfair for to them that like that they do a lot of work and then they get the same pay as someone who does, does no work so you know that 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 would seem kind of like a transition to a more a society where like everybody just like understands the, the the idea of responsibility and you know everybody works equally yeah yeah i get that yeah i mean i i think the most important thing is that as long as people are still believing in in free will and that people you know their lives are up to them that they that they chose to be poor or what or chose to be mentally ill as long as we're still under that belief then then there's absolutely no way that we'll have a better system than yeah. we currently do so i think that, i mean i think people need to get that it's not like you can just jump into a resource-based economy or even socialism or whatever um under the idea that, oh, I'm better than other people, therefore I should have a big mansion and I should have everything. They should have nothing because, oh, they're not as important. You know, that's the problem. Yeah, it does seem 
uh, ingrained with that, the whole Venus Project thing, because it is, it's a lot of the, I mean, what's going to have to change the most is probably our psychology more than anything. Yeah. That, that takes, uh, that takes resources to change that. That takes, uh, well, you know, I mean, we're not, let's talk about the fact that we like, we don't even have, we don't have and this is just through time, politicians who seem like particularly concerned with education to a high enough degree that we're really pushing that button. Like everybody talks about education and then everybody stops talking about education. But nobody's like persistent, like, no, we we have to change this thing. Like if nothing else, let's, let's hold off on the wars for a second. Let's hold off on this and that. Like, people, like the fundamental premise of any good thing is an educated people. People are freer. People, you know, they can they can solve the problems of their lives and all those other things. Um, but we're, we don't even have a like a candidate who, apart from like Bernie Sanders, who pushed it on some issues, not even fully, just like across the board. Like our education has to be like the number one thing. Yeah, I mean, we still have people. I mean, we've still got racism, sexism, and speciesism, and you've got people going into gay clubs and shooting them. You've got weird stuff going on in this world. All this hatred and violence. And so, yeah, I think that the psychology of people has to change. But the problem here is that education happens through a variety of sources. And the people, it's hard to get people to agree. Just like the big fight over whether evolution should be taught in schools. You know, that's where it's difficult. People, like... The public school systems, they're going to be arguing about what kids should or should not be taught. And this is where people's world views and their arrogance and, and weird stuff comes in because they, you know, we're not united because we have different priorities. That's where I think it gets um, tricky. And um, perhaps this is where we get, like, for example, we come to the conclusion that like, for example, say everybody has to really have the same religion or they're not going to be able to work together. What do you think about that idea? I don't agree. I, yeah, I think... no, because today, today people have different religions. They work together. You know? yeah. Not very well because it seems like it's like they put up with each other, but they would, they would want to either kill or convert people. It's the, on, the only thing that stops them for the most time is the force of law. Like they'll go to jail if they do. But Chandler, I think you're you're referring thing mainly to the to the radicals, to the fundamentalists. I think you know, you know, fortunately, the vast majority of people who are into religion aren't all that into it. It's kind of like just like a you know, it makes them feel good. Yeah, you know, it's not something. Yeah. It. Yeah. See, here's the tricky thing: is that th this is what what's very interesting to me about it, though, is that if even slightly, if people are being taught whole different traditions, different ethical systems, you know, you've got one group of children being taught free will over here, and other children being taught um, no free will over here. You've got one group of children being taught that God is the universe. You've got another group of children being taught that God is a man in the sky who's mad at you and going to send you to hell. You've got them being taught different definitions of the same word. They're taught different things. Like one says, oh, the 
you, the death penalty is biblical. We all we go by the Bibles, so therefore we support the death penalty. And there are people out there like that. Other people are like, well, no one deserves to die. We should not be seeking to kill people, but instead reform them whenever possible. You know what I'm saying? People are taught yeah. different things. Yeah, no, that's a good point, Chandler. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get at, guys, is everybody has to agree on this is the right thing on on these little issues and it ha they have to be on the same page. And I feel like, for example, guys, we may have to be an example to the rest of the world of how this works because, you know, we're all part of this podcast, the group of co-hosts on here, and we have differences. Even though we all agree that free will is an illusion, we may have disagreements on issues yeah. of morality or scientific truth or certain things or another. And this is the trick. How do people, like, just, there are some differences that people can just let slide because they don't matter very much, and other things are essential that people have to agree upon to work together. Yeah. All right, uh, well, Chandler, I, I guess I'm going to have to convince you that God exists. So we're all in agreement. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a good segue into that topic, since we want to cover a little bit of that, too. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about that. All right, all right so let me start. Um Basically, here's the idea. The concept of God developed with not the concept of a single God, but the idea of like, all right, thunder's happening. What's causing it to happen? Fire happens. What causes it to fire? So it's, it was a way of explaining why things happen. You know, the, yeah. the, God, the, the Greek pantheon. Go ahead. Go ahead, Corey. I was going to say teleology. That's, okay. That's okay. What... Yep. Yep. So yeah. like, so, so basically... It's, you know, the, the, the fundamental definition of God is like what makes things happen, right? So in other words, to, to refute that God, one would have to refute the laws of nature. Because like essentially in science, the laws of nature explain what, why things happen. Okay. All right, so then there's a few, then another, you know, then we, 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 we shifted from polytheism to monotheism where there's this one God, right? And then we attributed like, you know, the creation of the universe, the world to it, right? So, yeah. I mean, there's two ways to, to, to consider this. The first way is like with the known universe, the Big Bang, you know, like, you know, before the 1980s, I think, um, you know, we kind of like thought that the, the universe was static and it was like, you know, eternal, that it was always the way it was, never changed. So now yeah. we, we realize that 14 billion years ago, it started, created Big Bang. And so like, so the God of the Bible, the God that, you know, most people believe in is the, also the creator of this world, of this, let's say, known universe. So again, to refute that God, one would have to refute, you know, the Big Bang or, or this cos cosmology that explains reality in, in a similar way. Uh, so it, okay. no, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, ba and that's basically my, my argument. So in other words, like, um, basically, and, and the, the last kind of like, because we're trying to like get at the most fundamental, essential descriptions of God as, as used in the Bible and, you know, in various religions and the major religions. The last one is that God is everything, is everywhere, right? Yeah. Well, again, if we consider that the universe is everything and everywhere, we would have to be refuting the universe to, be, to refute God, you know, in that sense. Sort of, yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, so we're feeding the God of the Bible. Okay. Yeah, so um, 
So then is that, that, that's basically where you stand then, is that some of the definitions that you could kind of define God as haven't been disproven? Right. I mean, and it's not just some, it's like the most essential, the most fundamental. You know, yeah. there, there's other definitions, for example, like many Christians and Jews and, and Muslims will claim that, that God is all good, omnibenevolent. Right. Okay, well, I mean, one, one could say, actually, in, in Isaiah, God himself is quoted as saying, well, I create light, I create darkness, I create good, I create evil. Right. So then that's one way. But the other, the other thing is to simply say, well, no, God can't be all good because we, have, we don't have a free will and the, the evil that we humans do has to be attributed to God. So then that's how I, that, why I sometimes refer myself as an acutheist, like that, you know, our conception of God, God does exist. It's just, we don't, just like we didn't get our universe right from the very beginning when we began to theorize it, we haven't gotten our conception of God completely right yet. Okay. So, so in, in your opinion, George, where did, where did your God come from? Um, well, and David, and then we get to a point, you know, whether, whether we're considering the universe or God, I mean, logic doesn't help us because like, you know, we could say, well, you know, I mean, did God have a beginning, you know, have and that transcends logic. If, if, if time or the, or the universe regresses back eternally, you know, that seems like we can't answer that, you know, either, either about the universe or God. I think um, what I would have to say about that is it depends on whether you're a determinist or indeterminist what your answer will be to that. Because if you're a determinist, you'll say, well, there can't be a, a beginning to the universe or God or anything because every everything has a cause before it, so there can't be a beginning. And if you're indeterminist and you think things pop into existence out of nothing, well, then you can believe in as many gods as you want <laughs> that, that might randomly pop up. Yeah, but I, I reject that in, that a causality in determinism because, like, you know, there's never been an instance shown of it. It's kind of like, you know, um, it 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 actually it, it kind of goes contrary to, to example, the conservation laws in physics. Like in physics, there's a conservation of mass energy that you can neither create nor destroy matter. So, like, in other words, like the you know what um, what the Big Bang looked like before what the universe looked like before the Big Bang. Who knows? But we can kind of like conjecture according to the laws of nature that, you know, that it didn't just come from nothing. It had to exist in a different form. Right. I agree with that. Like, first of all, I don't. Yeah, I agree that matter can either be created nor destroyed. And it certainly can't happen without a cause, you know, and that's we would have to believe that that new matter can start to exist or it can completely stop existing and that it would happen for no reason at all. And I think that's absurd. Okay. Yeah, I tend to hold that view too. Um, so when you guys are talking about a cause, or when you're talking about a causality, um, are you talking a? I mean, I'm sure there's different people who claim that, but is a, a large camp of them the uh, quantum, quantum, the guys who stand behind quantum mechanics, basically? Uh, absolutely, radioactive decay, a, a radium atom, a, a radioactive um, isotope decays. And they don't know, they can't predict or understand the rate of decay, so somehow they go from, from, from that to claiming that this decay is uncaused. So it's yeah, basically, yeah. 
Well, I was going to say, I mean, that, that I, I don't know about that uh, in particular. I was thinking of, like, the, the double slit experiment where, you know, there has to be an observer or, you know, there's a lot. Of, but um, and what I usually tell a lot of people when we're talking about this is that, at least from what I understood it, quant first of all, quantum physicists aren't reaching the conclusions that other people are reaching about quantum mechanics. That's the first thing. It's like when they'll make a claim like, oh, well, this is free where free will exists or... This is where you know. This is where the soul exists. Like none of the quantum physics, like none of that stuff's getting published in any scientific journals. So like when you're when they're saying it, it's not you know they're the people who are doing the experiments don't seem to agree that those are reasonable conclusions. Otherwise, they would be making them themselves. That's a good um, point. But, yeah, uh, that's a good point because yeah, there's the people who are the scientists doing these experiment, experiments in quantum physics. But then what you've got is you've got a whole bunch of lay people who know nothing about quantum physics arguing arguing about it. And of course, like we're not quantum physicists, but we just know that indeterminism wouldn't grant free will anyway. You know, and so you can't. That's the, that's the great thing about me, to me personally, about my about my worldview is I don't have to understand it because I'm not I'm not a quantum physicist. I rely on the expertise of quantum physicists. So I mean, that's the great. I don't have to say like. You know, I don't have to understand it to be like, obviously, you've done this thing for 20 years. You probably know more about it than I do. In the same way that when I take, if I don't know anything about a car and I take it to a mechanic, it doesn't at all panic me to, to be like, well, I don't know a lot about cars and this person does. Now, they're like, obviously, people, if you take it to like, on a mechanic who's like a swindler, you know, you're going to be worried about it. But as far as that person's ability to do the job, most of us are just kind of appealing to their expertise without any issue, apart from, like I said, money. But um, the other thing with the quantum mechanics is, like, as far as I understood it, there, we, we observe things like general relativity. We understand how things work on the macro scale. We, under, we look at things on the micro scale and things act differently there, but we don't know how the two correlate into each other. We're still studying that, right? I mean, we're still not sure how the random actions of quantum particles translates into the phenomenon that we measure and observe. Actually, Quaid, it's interesting because, like, in a certain sense, we know some of that. Um, in other words, like, a lot of people will claim that Heisenberg uncertainty principle, that, that means that certain things are indeterministic in the sense of uncaused, Right. They'll use that, you know, like the, the idea that one can't simultaneously measure the position and momentum of a particle. But mm -hmm. the problem with that is like, so they'll use that as an example of something that's not caused. But the problem with that is like the reason we can do that in the macro world is because like you fire a photon at a baseball, the size difference between the two is so great that that photon isn't going to affect either the, posi the position or the momentum of that baseball as it measures its either position or momentum. Yeah. But when you're measuring like an electron with a photon, you bounce that photon off the electron and that causes, quote unquote, causes a shift in the momentum of the, of the electron. So in other words, like this, th there's an inherent causality that's built into the micro world as well as the macro world. Huh. Yeah, yeah, and that's the way I figured it should be. But I mean, I mean, like when people try to make conclusions about this, and I do want to transition back into the God thing in just a second. But like, um, 
like when people say, well, we don't like they try to I, I've been reading. I've been watching this guy called uh, Inspiring Philosophy. I don't know if anybody knows who that guy is, but he's a Christian apologist. Uh, so he's obviously looking at these from the Christian worldview, but he looks at things like that are happening in the brain that are quantum. And he's saying, see, so that way, you know, we, when we observe um, certain actions, we're, we're collapsing the quantum process, which enacts certain things in our brain. Now, again, he's, this isn't the conclusion that scientists make at all. He's just kind of making them on his own. But it's kind of like the same thing as saying, like, well, we don't know where the quantum particle is, so we don't really know where the Earth is in relation to the sun because... Because the those things are both made out of essentially quantum parts, like we don't know, despite the fact that the Earth and Sun are both made out of quantum parts, which means that, um, basically, there's a lot of spooky things going on that people don't understand. We're not able to measure the position of things. Doesn't mean you can't measure the position of the macro objects, which right. And the best that people will, you know, can suggest. If they claim that, that certain brain events are quantum in nature, is that they're un, uncaused? You know, because like you know, yeah. if if the event is caused, and naturally causality refutes free will. But what they don't understand, and I don't understand how they don't understand this, because it's so basic, so simple, is like that an uncaused quantum event is no defense for free will. You know, like nothing is causing it. Yeah, I would agree. But. Uh... To go back, so you started here with your argument about God. So the first one was that, well, it wasn't an argument, but you were just kind of laying out different parts of it, but um, parts of the idea. Uh, so one is like the first part you were talking about teleology. You're talking about how, like, in the beginning, we used to attribute um, actually like, lightning happened. Why is the lightning happening, right? So we want to know, you know, with that. Um, and so I don't know if you're saying that, like, that curiosity to know what's behind that thing is, I, I don't know, like, inspired? Because to me, like, that's, for instance, like, the studies they've done, like, children do it way more than adults. That would be the first thing. Children are way more likely to attribute um, agents to actions than adults. Uh, and they think that has to do with the developing brain because our brain can't comprehend the complex processes that go on behind things at first so we just come up with this agent the agent is a substitute for our ignorance basically uh and that makes sense to me i mean honestly like that makes like it makes sense that uh children who can't understand complex processes which aren't god would be like well that is some type of agent or godlike being behind it and we do this with everything it gives us like when you bump your leg into your car and you, you start yelling at your car, your car obviously is not the agent behind that action, but you attribute it to them because it relieves stress to do that, to, to put a presence behind it and then blame that presence. It seems to, that seems to me to negate the idea that there is actually a presence, that it's just a coping mechanism. Right. Quite, quite when I when I refer to kind of like, I guess, ancient history and kind of like it's it's more about like, in other words, if we're going to either prove or disprove God's existence, we have to come up with a fundamental definition, you know, okay. what, what so like so like so that's, you know, in other words, like, you know, that's why we start with polytheism, because like, you know, monotheism, the, the God of today evolved from that. Yeah. 
Okay, I, I understand that, and I would agree with you. I would agree that if anybody, and that's like, so my position, at least on anything, is to, to me really clear. Like, I, I follow experts across, I toe the line, so to speak. Because to me, like, the, the um, ability of my own ignorance is probably way past anything that I could conceive of. And so my ability to be wrong is only ever mitigated by the fact that there's this thing called science that has developed over thousands of years, and it seems to be a legitimate way to actually be able to observe the universe in, on some scale. Is it perfect? No. Does it know everything? Obviously not, because it's a process, but it's the best we have, and so it's the best that I go off of. And so the first thing, if anybody wanted me to accept God, the first thing they would have to do would be to define it. Um, right, so, it, so, it, so, it, so are we in agreement then? Go ahead, David. Oh, no, that was David? Sorry. Oh, sorry. All right. Think... So we're... That... All right. Hold on. Are we in agreement then that, like, if we define God as being what causes things to happen, and damn, guys, talk. I just gotta like hold on. Hold on. That's God calling in. Okay. Yeah. Well, while George is answering the his phone call or whatever, um, yeah. What I wanted to say is that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, first we have to be agreed upon the definition of what God is. Otherwise, we'll, we'll just be talking nonsense when we try to prove or disprove the existence of God. And I think this is where it gets, gets interesting is because I know each religion and each culture has their different definitions of God. And now let's suppose that I was just some person that had never heard about God or anything, never been exposed to any religion. And then along comes George, you know, and this, um, and he's is saying that God is his name for all everything. And I hadn't heard of the word universe, you know, like then it would seem like, yeah, let's just call all of reality God. And I'd be fine with that. And I'd go on with my life never caring anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, but I guess I feel like because God already has a very, it does have a, a, a you know, it's vague, but it's still pretty clearly defined what God means um, in the American culture. And you guys may agree with me or disagree with me on that. But I mean, like, wait, I know you come from a, a Christian background, right? Yeah. And David, how about you? Uh, atheist. Apathetic. So you've always been an atheist, David? Well, I mean, technically, I've, I've never been a believer or anything like that. Nobody in my okay. family is a religious person at all. So. Gotcha. All right. But Chandler, my point is that, like, the God that we've just been defining and the God that's defined in the Bible are the same God. You know, it's, it's just like for the, the universe that we understand now and the universe we understood in the 1950s before we developed the theory of the Big Bang, is the same universe. We've got more right than they did. We may have more right about the, um, the nature and existence of God than the biblical people, but fundamentally, you know, as, as what makes things happen, as everything and as the creator of this world, you know, we're talking about the God of the Bible. Well, yeah, see, here's the deal, though. Um, you've also said before in previous podcasts that the Bible got some things wrong, right? Um, well, yes, but actually, or let's, let's, let's try to determine what the Bible got wrong, because, like, you know, if we, if we go by that statement in Isaiah, you know, that God, you know, creates both light and darkness, good and evil, 
then apparently the Bible got the 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 non exist the, the the idea that God is not all good right. So so what what can we um, present from the Bible that, that it got wrong? Well, uh, you want to start from the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's an interesting thing. Um, like here's an example. Do you believe the whole issue with Adam and Eve, the 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 fruit tree of the knowledge of good and of evil, the talking snake, all that stuff happened? All right, and and I don't. And so, like, the point is that yes. Now, I'm not gonna re I'm not gonna defend you know the theology of Judaism, Christianity, or, or Islam, or whatever. You know, there's a lot of myths, a lot of just stories. But, well, yeah. but to, there's a difference between like the religion and this like existence of God. Okay, so you're separating the two in a sense. Like you're saying we don't have to buy into every story in the Bible or the Quran or anything. Oh, I think the the vast majority of religion is, is nonsense. You know, I mean these guys believe that because some guy a couple of thousand years ago said it so and he said like, you know, I've got the truth and it's the truth forever. That's what these guys believe. I mean, it's it's complete. You know, it's 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 illogical. Right. And so, for example, when we already see that, okay. Now, first, for the purpose of this discussion, God is the universe. God is everything. Um, we already know God is not all good because there are bad things happening. Much pain, a lot of insane um, suffering that is going on so we we already know that god is not all good god is both good and evil because good and evil things happen so then when we read isaiah well it's like duh we already knew that god is good and evil you know yeah so yeah yeah so what i'm saying is we're going based on what we can experience what we can logically d deduce and we don't need to go by the bible yeah exactly yeah that sounds good Okay, I think we're kind of on the same page here. Um, yeah, well, that, that's yeah. This is interesting. Um, I did dissent on a few things. Uh, okay. Yeah. So I mean, and just to go through. So the one is you said you were talking about. So from there you went to monotheism, and you're talking about refuting the God of the Bible. Um, and I think it is refutable in a lot of ways. I mean, if the Bible is strictly what Christians believe God is, then it's a lot of it's nonsense. A lot of it doesn't make sense. If we if we go with the old, I mean, they clearly thought that at some point. Now, there's also reasons to believe that they didn't think this, but at some point they thought that all God was all knowing, all powerful, all good. Like they do say these things in the Bible, and so because they do, that God has a contradiction by nature, which or, means or, or quite it may not be that God has a, a contradiction, but the Bible does. Because in other words, like. If if the Bible, well, their definition of God is what I mean. Yeah, As no, a, you're right. Yeah, no, good. Is a God that I can point. falsify because they made claims about it, which are which are on some level falsifiable if you think if you believe in the law of non-contradiction. Now they just get around that by saying that God can do anything, so He can even contradict Himself. But <laughs> all right, that's a great point. So like, if 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 there are instances in the Bible that say God is all good, then clearly the Bible is contradicting itself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and, and it says it in several spots. Um, but so the, my pro my whole problem with the the God thing, um, how do I falsify this? Like, how how is like it's an important thing for science, right? If you make a claim, it has to be falsifiable. Otherwise, it's it's useless in terms of actually proving it. It's useless. Right, here, here's how I answer that. 
we can apply that falsifiability criteria to the universe and and conclude that the universe isn't provable. That the universe that can't we can't prove that the universe exists because we can't falsify its existence. Well, what we're using we're using actual data. I mean, and you're, I mean, so there's a probability here that it doesn't exist, which I admit to because things nothing's absolute, so it could actually not exist. But I have to operate on the premise that it does exist, otherwise I would not be able to get around in my daily life. I mean, if I believe in what's measurable and observable, if I believe in empiricism, I have to believe the universe exists because we have huge pictures of it. Right. So, right. Mean, right. That's, it, different. that's different from God, though, which we don't have any pictures of. Even if, even if, like, so for instance, I got asked, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I did have a very, a very um, relevant conversation about this. I was, talk, I was talking to a Christian, actually, one of my good friends that I don't see very often, but we, were, we got into a religious tift about it. And so he, he tried to pin it on me, well, aren't you essentially defining the universe as God? And I said, no, I'm not, I, like, in, if, if I did, it would take the complete sting out of what God means, because I do not think the universe, I have no reason at this point to think that the universe is sentient, which to me is a fundamental premise of the God argument, that, that God is actually knowledgeable. And in order to have knowledge, there has to be some type of membrane holding that knowledge, and I don't have any proof that the universe has that thing, or evidence in it. All right, so yeah, you kind of like are presenting the same argument the trick does uh, with this. You know, the idea that, you know, and my, my response to that was, um, all right, we're intelligent as human beings because we do things that, that express our intelligence, like build computers, right? Sure. Yeah. So like, couldn't we, so in other words, I, I'm, I'm guessing that we, we attribute to our self-intelligence um, the, the attribute of intelligence because of what we we do, you know, that, exactly. that we define as intelligent. So, I mean, yeah. so then if we if we were to kind of like um, apply that criteria for intelligence to, let's say, the universe uh -huh. that that, for example, um, created the human brain that's like vastly more complex than a computer, wouldn't uh -huh. we have to conclude that the universe is intelligent? And and if we did that, wouldn't we have to conclude that an intelligence would have to be conscious? Uh, I would say no, because with that whole, when we te when we test, so for instance, the fact that we we build computers, we understand what the goal is, and then we can say we have met this goal. There, that we do the same thing with animals. Animals have to meet goals that we set. So we're not just looking. We're not looking at. Uh, we're not looking at volcanoes and seeing things you know every once in a while something spews from a volcano and, it, and it's very intricate and kind of geometrical and being like you know this is this is obviously it we set a goal and then and then the, through experimental parameters the thing meets the goal and then we apply intelligence because we do it with animals so how do we take that and do that with the universe we can't just say well something came from this that seems to be intelligent therefore it's intelligent like we set, we it's fair because we do it with all the other animals. We don't just say, "Well, a dolphin seems intelligent, so yeah, sure, it's intelligent." Or you know, it's like we, we give it a test, and, and and again, there's and the, the the test is usually that there's something that is ordered by the thing. Like 
specifically. Now, when you have randomness, like to me, it's like the, it's like, the, well, I mean, it is the God argument, but it's, it's like the, there are both things that, do, so for instance, I, I have a friend who, I, I get told this by creationists all the time, like, doesn't the universe seem designed, right? They'll say like, that's well, that was an argument that I had at the reason rally. He pointed at the tree and he's like, that's my evidence for God right there. But the thing is like, I don't think we can, based on the face of things, tell whether or not they're designed or not, which is why it takes the tests. Well, like, to, we, we would have to, like, just as, as we have to kind of, like, define God to determine whether God exists or not, don't we have to define design? How are we defining design? Yeah, exactly. That's my point. Yeah, and that's a fair, that's a fair question, then, that I don't think is answered. So when we, when we define design, one of the things behind design is the fact that there was actually purpose behind it. And we have not deciphered any purpose purpose of this universe yet. There might be one. Okay. Well, well, all right, but wait a minute. Like so, like I mean, we can, for example, d um, see purpose in our, you know, individual, you know, like you know, personal actions, right? But you know, and, that's, and it's like that the car yeah. that Cartesian statement. Uh, I think, therefore, I am. But um, we, it, it seems like it would be difficult to logically. Um, you know, assign purpose to anything anyone else does or anything any other animal does. So we, we would have to conclude that the only, you know, um, the only evidence we have of intelligence is our, our own personal. Um, no, I mean, like, so if, like, for instance, when somebody builds a car, that car, when somebody makes art, which seems purposeless, it has purpose, which is intentionally... It's, it's rooted in the fact that this person was born in a culture in which they learn certain colors, uh, they learn how to paint certain things that people who looked at the painting could identify with. And so the purpose is for the purpose of uh, people to enjoy it, in a way. And we, we, we can only say that because we've seen artists develop, we've seen inventors, we've seen these things happen through time, and so we understand that they have purpose because people articulate that they have purpose. And I think the same thing has to happen if we're, I mean, we would have to be able to talk to this, that's the thing, that's one th That's one of the reasons that we derive purpose is through communication. Like, is that not fair? Like, when, when someone tell, when someone builds something, my next question is, what is this thing for? Or let's say I happen upon something randomly in nature, and I can't tell whether it's designed or not. If the inventor comes up to me and tells me what it is, I go, oh, that was designed. It has purpose. But up until that point, I don't actually know. I can assume it. But like I said, people think that they know what's like, for instance, if you look at like fairy circles, I mean, they're, they're almost perfect circles of mushrooms, but they're not designed. There's a perfectly natural explanation for why that happens. But people thought fairies came out of them. Because of how, because they look designed. So I don't think we can actually tell the difference between uh, when something is made for a purpose or designed and not. And the only way we can is when we actually talk to people. It's because of our connection to humanity that we have that information. And so, if, like, I would have to be able to talk to God. He'd be like, yeah, this is what I made it. Here's how it works. And then, in some way, like, communication is a pretty big thing for intelligent beings to be able to do, is communicate. Right. When, I, when, I, when I consider... Um you know, that kind of, um, that kind of argument, that kind of position, what I think about is, for example, our, our evolution or like the evolution of, a, of an organism that let's say didn't have wings, you know, initially didn't have wings, didn't have feet, whatever, 
to an organism that, that first had feet, you know, legs, or whatever, and then had wings. I, I, I can't conceive of like a process whereby, you know, quote unquote randomly, and I'm not referring to like a causal randomness, but like for no reason or purpose, these wings just develop. Uh-huh. In other words, I, I just think, I think that the um, underlying evolution, there, there seems to be a very strong purpose toward anything and, you know, to specific, you know, organs and all that are going to like, you know, better ensure the survival of, of the organism. You know, there does seem to be purpose behind evolutionary um, okay. you know, changes. Yeah, so my answer to that is if God is all, like, so, I mean, one of the definitions that your God can meet, he's all-knowing, right? Like, I mean, he's everything. So within that, I mean, the whole point, and again, there's no purpose in saying that the universe is everything and everything is God, because then we're just, I mean, you could just say universe. I mean, there has to be some other attribute to this thing besides the fact that it's everything. Could you be everything and not God? Uh, no, you're right, right. So, so, uh, so at the same time, we're going to say that it's all-knowing. I mean, this thing has to be really intelligent. And one of the things, so for instance, Einstein says, and I, I, I still think it's fair. I'm kind of appealing to authority here, so I apologize. But I do think that if we ask enough people, we could, we could turn this into a thing. Um, he said that what makes something intelligent is not its complexity, but it's simplicity. And, and mechanics and people who design things stick true to this. The more complex a system is, the more likely things can go wrong in that process, which is why evolution works in the first place. It's because DNA is such a, it's such a long um, system that happens with DNA and RNA that certain things go wrong, what we, we would define wrong. They, they, they go incorrect. And that, to me, represents randomness more than intelligence. It seems to me to represent more just blundering, blind mystique. Because, again, it, something has to go wrong in order for eventually something fruitful to come out of it. And that's yeah, not... I know, but, like, but if I were to try, uh, like create for, try to create a, a human brain or something to evolve it or something, yeah, yeah. I might make a, a ton more mistakes than, than nature did, but I don't think I could come... Up, you know. I, I, I couldn't approach, you know, being able to succeed with it, you know, nor, nor could we like our collective humanity. So, yes, like in other words, like we human beings would attribute intelligence to ourselves yeah. and we couldn't approach the level of intelligence, you know, including the, the, the blunders and all that would go into like creating a human brain. Yeah. I, yeah. So I get what you're saying, like the, But the brain has a lot of problems, though. Like, I understand there are problems for us, and so maybe that doesn't work for me then because if God really doesn't care, which is what you're saying, he seems kind of ambivalent. Is that correct? Is that Well, is that... I mean, that's, I mean, like, there are certain things that, in other words, like, you know, I can't, the, the fundamental question for me, and it, and it tops every other question that we can think of, is why God would have created pain. You know, because, like, considering, for example, that God is the only thing exists, that exists, right. when God afflicts organisms whatever you know god is afflicting god you know and and pain yeah. hurts you know so like so you know so i think what i'm saying is like there there's an aspect of god related to our sentience and our pain that completely um defies my understanding yeah okay so i understand that too and that makes sense to a certain degree um but like 
right now, like with everything, we're on like a thin sheet. Like we live on what they call in, in biology, like we live on the razor's edge. Like we are, uh, extinction is the rule, not the exception. Like more things die than live. And for God, especially if he had any purpose with us whatsoever, that does not seem to be the way to go about it at all. Where most of your product is waste. I mean, that's what that is. Like, if we had someone who designed that, who designed the evolutionary process, process for the let's say for the intention of creating the human brain, which it sounds like you're kind of saying, like the human brain is so like there had to be a reason behind that. Is that the the argument? Well, not so much a quote unquote reason in terms of like you know human purpose, but an order. In other words, like you know to to posit that that there isn't intelligence it would be to posit that there's no order you know in other words like these laws of nature i mean they govern everything and they are you know amazingly precise you know and they work together you know so so it's it's kind of like you know they 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 express a kind of order that to my mind can only you know can you know is expressive of intelligence okay so but then that would be negated so all these systems are working in order right so if you had evidence of universes in which there there was clearly not the order that was that was going on here and and even better that there was as some as some physicists have, have speculated or they've they've thought about that uh, in the same way that humans evolved that the that universes are actually also evolutionary there seems to be the, the preference for a universe that is stable and exists is an inclination from universes that aren't stable and don't exist, if that makes sense. They end up not existing. And we, now, I understand that this isn't proven at all, but my point is none of this is. And so I could also think of a, I could also think of a universe in which it, there, it wasn't designed, but just by inclination, in the same way that you would look at human and you would say, clearly that didn't come from this long process if you were just looking at a human, you knew nothing about evolution or biology or DNA. Back in the day, it was clear that we were made by by God right there on the spot. Uh, until we learned about evolution, oh no, this thing does have like an incremental natural process that we don't have to at all involve God into at this point. Could also be the same thing for the universe, the whole universe itself. All right, so let's 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 consider this question from the alternative. So that like how you know. Because sometimes I hear people saying, well, things just are, you know, evolution just, just happens, the, you know, uh, things just happen. But uh -huh. I mean, is, is that an explanation? Is that, I mean, like, what does that mean? Uh, well, I think that it's a coping mechanism, I guess, for a lot, like, especially if, if something, you know, we're just like things just, I mean, it's, it's a coping mechanism, I think, for our ignorance. Like, we don't know all the time. Like, so when we say things just happen, they could be God. By the way, I'm not saying it's not God. I'm just saying that I take an agnostic position because I have no evidence, and that agnosticism, to me, immediately leads to atheism because if right. anybody were, were to postulate anything else, you know, I don't have evidence that Santa Claus doesn't exist. Like, I don't no, have... No, Quaid, I know, Quaid, my, my, my question more precisely is, like, if not God, how do we describe the nature of what makes things happen? I think we're on the track right now. We use qualifiers, so we, we, we don't act like we know everything, and we stick to very specific scientific parameters. And if any at any point 
someone comes up with a theory that is encompassing all of this scientific evidence and it just happens to be the word God, I would be fine with it. But that hasn't happened yet. All right, but, but so like, I mean, is there, is there, I mean, because God is a very concise term, right? I mean, like, you know, it has, you know, kind of like an accepted, you know, general definition. But is there a term that describes the alternative to God? Because atheism simply is like a negation of the term. You know, what, what's replaced by God? Uh, I mean, it could, be, it could be lots of things. It could be, it could be... Um... All right, so like, so let's say, let's say we, let's say we, um, we use the word, the, like, the word, the, 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 um, the world is not governed or run by God, it's, it's governed or run by naturalism. Or randomness, yeah. Randomness, well, but wait a minute, randomness, how, how are you defining randomness? Uh, uh, randomness is the opposite of intention, it's not intended. So actually, in a, it's interesting because in a certain sense, God in the Bible is defined as ineffable, as transcendent, as that which we can't understand. So, so yeah. that, that seems to coincide with that, yeah. Which is another problem I have. Uh, Michael Shermer said that, uh, and it, it makes sense, this thing might be off limits. Maybe it's not, I'm not going to say it is, but if you can think about going back in time to you know, 2,000 years ago, uh, with all the technology, just bringing every piece of technology we've developed up to this point, they would have no distinction between you and God. And for, there's no reason to think that they wouldn't. You know, like they would not be able to tell. Like you have power at your fingertips. And so he said, if you can imagine a civilization who's, who's just, let's say, evolved another 100,000 years ahead of us, their technology must be so advanced that we would not be able to tell the difference between them and God. It would be untestable because we would not be able to see, we would not be able to, with our own resources, test the limit of their powers. Well, we no, we could. We we could say to them, listen, like I want you to like shift the sun like by 15 degrees, you know, um, westward or northward. You know, right. I'm not sure. You know, how however advanced that civilization would, you know, I'm not sure they could do stuff like that. Well, the well, question is, can God do stuff like you. that? <laughs> That's a good question, Chandler. What? So was that? What was the question? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, my question was, can God shift the sun whatever degrees? Um, and Quade, you weren't here for this episode, but there was one where Trick was asking George if God can turn the moon into cheese. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. it's kind of a strange thing because if he can't do that, he's not all powerful. <laughs> right, right, yeah, yeah, I know. So, but but I have no reason to think that an advanced civilization wouldn't be able to move the sun. Why would I think that they wouldn't be able to? Um, well, I mean... That's well, all right. Uh, I guess they'd have. All right, I hear you. They'd have to be like yeah. incredibly advanced. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, if you if you went if you went back a hundred years ago and you said, you know, what, would God be able to send a message from one side of the globe to the other instantaneously and have somebody else receive it? They'd be like, I, I really don't think they'd be able to do that. I really don't think our civilization is going to get to that point. But we do. Right, but we I'm, just have. We have no idea. I think my point, though, is that, like, all right, we have these, like, laws of nature, like um, conservation laws, like you can't either create or destroy matter. I don't okay. think, regardless of how advanced they were, they, they could, like, defy the laws of nature. Uh, okay. Yeah, which would, okay, so, like, yeah, differing, or, well, okay, so, like, scientists, and I'm just going off, of, like, they, they, we now think that it would be possible to create a black hole, which 
it seems like a big thing. Like, especially if what Stephen Hawkins is saying is true, which is that is, like, the cause of singularities. I'm, I'm, I'm going now kind of way out of my reach here because I'm, I'm going off of what other physicists say, and I don't have really other ways to explain it apart from that. But we do think that we will be able to create a black hole, and then it will be actually simple. Like, if we just had the right technology. So, I mean, really, I, the, my, my only point in saying this is I have no idea what is capable and what we're not capable of because that is in the area of ignorance for me. The only, the only stuff that I know is cap we're capable of is the stuff we've already done. I have no idea what comes next. I have no idea what's after that. I have no idea if we'll be able to make a universe one day, which they say might be possible, and if our universe is ripping itself to shreds, would be the next thing we would want to learn how to do. Right, all right, but then, then for example, like I refer to the laws of nature as something we couldn't overcome. Um, yeah. How about logic? I mean, like, could we ever like uh, make one plus one equal three? Uh, I have no idea. I, I would right. I would say no, but I also don't want to argue from the stone. Like, I, I can't explain why it's ridiculous to say that, but I, I don't have a reason to believe it. I don't have a reason at this point to believe that we will make one point one or one plus one equal three. But I don't I, I don't know that I can say it's impossible. Huh. Okay. I this is it's, it's getting kind of confusing because like I feel like what yeah, what's happening is we're going off on several different topics about black holes and and advanced evolved species or whatever and I think I, I still am not sure we're even uh, on an agreement that there is an agreed upon definition of God. Well, again, yeah. Chandler, the, 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 th the thing with God is like you have God defined in different ways by various different peoples. But I think we can agree on general definitions. In other words, like, again, going from like the, the move from polytheism to monotheism, that God is what makes things happen and, and God is what is everything. You know, I mean, like the, there's 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 two or three fundamental uh, definitions that that seem to be universal. Hmm. Well, here's an interesting thing. Now, like by definition, if we have God be everything, have God be the universe, meaning everything. Well, then, of course, then it's not a, it's not even a question about proof or falsifiability or anything, because anything that happens, God did it because everything is God or God is the happening because God is everything. So with this sort of thing, it's not falsifiable. And that's one of the things Quay brought up earlier about, you know, falsifiability. And this is sort of a thing where in, well, yeah, you can't falsify it because by definition, there is no alternative to everything because it's everything. Yeah. So what would you? What well, would you... again, like you were, Quaid, you were saying in science, there's what what goes beyond falsifiability as what's known as a priori knowledge or axiomatic. In other words, some things are so self-evident, or that we have uh -huh. to like rely on certain premises, so yeah. that we rely we rely on the premise that everything exists. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with that. Well, yeah, we, yeah, we do. We we agree on a lot of things. We could. That's what I like about logic in particular is logic is axiomatic. So we can like, 
I can say you should jump off of a bridge because everybody else is doing it. And a lot of people recognize that that's not a viable argument. Like, that's not, I shouldn't just do something or I shouldn't just believe something because a certain amount of people believe it. So they, they recognize the, the logical fallacy, at least for everybody I've asked right off the bat. But let's, uh, let's, tie, this, let's tie this to the free will thing. Because, like, you know, one of, one of I guess, like, um, all right, the question becomes if, we don't have a free will. That means we're just like puppets. So like, you know, the things we've just been saying and hearing and the thoughts that have been coming into our mind, in a certain sense, they're not ours. They don't, you know, because like, you know, puppet, you know, whatever it does, it's not like, doesn't author its, its action. So, we, you know, we don't author our thoughts or, you know, whatever. So then the question becomes, um, if our consciousness, if, if our, you know, thoughts and stuff are not ours, to whom or to what do we attribute this? And and like if we say the universe yeah. or nat nature and all, you know, um, what what would be the characteristics of a nature or a universe that, you know, like a puppeteer, you know, compels us, makes us, you know, say these these things, the, the, you know, and have these thoughts. Um. I don't know. That's the thing is it kind of seems random to me. Like it's like we're all kind of like bumbling in the dark, looking for the reasons behind our own existence. Like it's like the lights are off and everybody's walking around. Like we're making some coherence out of it, but not really enough that I would say it means anything. Like we're, we're not, we're not at all agreed upon what we're doing here or why we're, why we're here on, on any level. And so that's that's what I would expect a universe who that was random and was just kind of letting things happen, so to speak. If if I'm going to apply teleology to it, which I scientists do, even though they don't mean it, when they say like evolution is doing this thing, they don't mean that it's conscious and is doing that thing. It's just the only way that they can explain it. But I don't think like this is what I would expect a universe to look like in which there were no reasons or goals behind anything. Like everybody's just kind of like turgidly running around bumping into each other or fighting over stupid petty things because we really have just no clue what's going on. All right, so like what you're saying is like, for example, we as human beings, we're like hardwired to seek pleasure, avoid pain. So like our purpose is like to, to feel as much pleasure and to as little pain as possible. That would, that would you know, I think define our, our overriding purpose to, to an extent in, in a certain sense. So then you're saying that like, that we can't discern the purpose of the universe. I mean, in that sense, I'd have to agree with you completely. In other words, like, why? Why is? Why does, you know, why do we exist as people? Why does the Earth exist? Why does, you know, these solar systems and these galaxies exist? Yeah, I, I you know, if, 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 if by random you're saying that we have no idea why they exist, yeah, I, 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 I completely understand that. Okay. All right, yeah, yeah, I know. Sorry, does there have to be a why? Does there have to be a why? Yeah, yes. That's a... <laughs> yes, there does. Is why there does it have to be a why? <laughs> well, yeah, I think what we're getting into, guys, is there's a difference between a cause and a reason or a purpose. Like, sure, there, there may be a cause for everything, but that doesn't mean that it was intentional or purposeful. Like, there's still accidents such as slipping on a banana peel. You know, you didn't intend to do it, but it, it still happened, you know? Yeah, or getting a girl pregnant. 
Yeah, that, I mean, that's just, it's not something, not everything is intentional. So we know that there are things in this universe that are not intentional. All right, but then, like, for example, we could, like, we could take like, these letters randomly and just mix them up and all, right? And we do this for, like, you know, 100 years and stuff and never come up with um, a story or something, something that, you know, that, that's intelligible. Whereas, mm -hmm. like, there's a second instance where we combine these letters according to some order and we do come up with something intelligible. So, I mean, like, how are we, how are we differentiating the first instance from the second? What, what's happening in the first instance, in the second instance, it's not happening in the, in the first well, I think in, that's kind of my point, is in both of those instances, it's randomness. So I'm not making a story myself. I'm just, I'm just pulling out letters, right? And there's reason to believe that if I do this process long enough, I will eventually get some type of story. If I just keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it, I will get some type of intelligible things coming out of it just by random process. And it could also be the case that it's going to be a while there where I don't. It's just completely random. And so, and again, for this experiment, there's no intention agent because I'm not intentionally doing it. I'm just randomly doing it. So there doesn't seem to be a way to distinguish what is, is made by random action or sentience. Well, but for example, if you, if you as a person, you know, want to take a, a pen and paper, you know, Within ten seconds, you couldn't, couldn't come up with a sentence that you know that clearly expresses the opposite of randomness, right? I mean, it, it's it's like, and but then then you you consider that well, you don't have a free will, so it's not really your intention. That's my mm -hmm. point. So how do we, you know, in those instances, are we saying that a random process, you know, causes you to to make this intentional sentence? It's my intention, though. It's not the it's not the thing behind me's intention. I can still have an intention. I mean, that's the thing. That's yeah. the, like I don't. When we start talking about choices and stuff, like some people want to divide us and say, "Well, we're not really making a choice, or we're not really like." To me, something like intention can still exist, and free will not exist. I can still have a will. I do have a will. It's it's fine to have the will, but that doesn't mean that you know that will is free, and then I'm just doing it. I, I really don't understand the free. No, I agree. Thing. I agree. I agree completely. In other words, like <clears throat> we do have intentions, right? But the, the idea without of our not having a free will is that they're not like fundamentally our intentions. You know, in other words, like if we were making these intentions with the free will, there'd be ours. You know, we could we could claim them. We could you know that we'd be authoring them. <clears throat> but well, but since we don't, go ahead. Well, that's but, but to me, it takes the to me intention is something that is necessarily human. It's something necess that necessarily humans have. Like to me, I don't have to remove like so. It's like well, you don't really have an intention. Like no, I, I do have an intention, but my intention is bred into me. Well, so, like, know, it's my intention. I it's like saying that birds don't have wings. Like birds have wings. It's just that evolution gave them those wings. They're not just giving themselves wings. When I have intentions or I have wills, those were things that were put into me, basically. Yeah. I, I think what Quaid is getting at is that basically, yeah, he has, he has intentions, but he didn't choose or freely choose those intentions. And so I don't think that, yeah, I don't think that we can say it's not our intention. Just like, you know, like Quaid has hair. We don't say it's not his hair on his head. 
just because he didn't choose the genetics and all the 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 big bang and all that led to him having that hair on his head. We still call it his hair, you know. It's like yeah, yeah. Like we don't have to call it my mom's hair just because she came from, like she's obviously the reason that it developed eventually. Right, like it's, right. It's, the thing is, she certainly didn't mean for it to happen. So despite the fact that I have this thing that looks really useful on the top of my head, yeah. nobody had to be behind it. It just happened. My intentions. Well, that's 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 my question. So like we're defining intention as as something that's uniquely human or you, uniquely um you know um Sentient. the property the property of of beings and not the property of you know of the universe. That's I would say that it's. My position on that is that there's I know there's reasons to believe that I have intentions, and there are no reasons as of now to believe that the universe does. And here's where it's a little bit tricky. Now, George, I don't know if George will agree with me or disagree with me on this, but here's the tricky part: is that all the intentions of all creatures, all conscious creatures that can even have intentions, are the universe's intentions because those things are part of the universe because everything is part of the universe so of course the universe is conscious conscious and intelligence it has intentions just because those things exist in the universe well that that would be my position because because of causality in other words like <clears throat> you know if if we intend something and like but we're not the fundamental cause of our intention then you know just like the the first domino in the series of a hundred is is the fundamental cause of the 99th domino toppling the 100th you know the whatever preceded us you know and again we we get to the 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 um eternal past which transcends logic but but it would seem that like yeah that there has to be like you know if we have a consciousness of you know if if we make a decision and it's not ours you know, a certain kind of logic would have to attribute it to something. Um, I, I don't know. I'm trying to like part like part of me wants to say that a lot of this is in the realm of ignorance. Like, like for instance, I I do not know whether a universe that was completely random could invent a brain or not, or whether or not you would need God. It's just completely in the realm of ignorance. Like, I don't know. I can I can appeal to I, again. I can argue from a stone. And I could say that seems ridiculous, but that's all. Like it seems ridiculous that I'm on a planet right now that is spinning over a thousand miles an hour. Like you can't go off of the way things seem. We only seem to be able to make claims when we do them scientifically. Otherwise, we start getting into areas that get us in trouble. We start making incorrect conclusions about things. Like again, so I could say it's it's it's. There's no reason to believe that I'm on a spinning planet right now that's going going over a hundred thousand miles an hour. And if you had given me the the uh, the uh, heliocentric model right before, you know, if I was back in the day and I was looking at the geo and heliocentric, and I just went based off of like what I think and like really I I, I don't see how this thing could happen. I'm I'm in fallacious territory, and that's where I start making incorrect conclusions. So I just don't. To me, I don't know. Like I don't know whether or not a brain could come, or if any of this could happen with or without a god. Okay, I think we we agree that that it's it's random in the sense that we don't know what's what's causing it. In other words, like randomness in that sense that like you know things happen, but you know in in science like random also refers to like the randomness we refute in in the free will debate is the randomness that means a causality. 
you know, that it's not yeah. caused. So, you know, no, so, that, so you're not using a randomness in that sense. You're using it in the more scientific or the other sense that that means that we just don't know. And, yeah, I mean, I, I've got to, you know, I've, I um, absolutely, I, I agree with that. In other words, like, we can't know. We can't know what, you know, what caused, again, this is even like going back to the, to the, to the, um, to the consideration that if time continues to go back eternally, we never get to a point where anything decided anything. So, yeah. so, so, yeah, so like in that sense, we're in agreement. I mean, the, the, that um, the universe is random in that sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to say two things. One is the intention. Like to me, for, like, when I say I have an intention, like part of the reason that I know that's true is because of a membrane that's holding that intention. And I don't have that for a God yet. Like if, if you want to say that the universe has intentions, what is the membrane system that is occurring uh, you know, like what is, how does the membrane do this? How, how can we be sure that the universe is conscious of this thing? How can we be assured of these things? Well, all right. One, one answer to that is like, for example, the, what's known in philosophy is the hard problem. You know, I'm not sure there's an answer to that. How can like these, these physical neurons and neurochemicals result in quote unquote consciousness, this 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 aspect of reality that doesn't seem to be physical. So in other words, like we we don't doubt consciousness. Um, you know, we, we accept consciousness as existing, even even though we're we have no idea of what the mechanism is. Yeah. So, uh huh. No, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah. Now here's an interesting question, guys, because we've been going on for a while about this. Now. It, do you suppose that it is necessary for people to even agree about the origins or, or the intentions or lack thereof of the universe or whether the universe is God or whether God is some man in the sky? Is it essential for us to agree on this in order to live our lives in peace? Chandler, that's an excellent question. I, I think it may not be essential at all. It may not be at all necessary. Yeah, that's what I'm kind of feeling right now, because now, if I was still back in my Christian days, or if I was some kind of hardcore Islamist or whatever, then I might argue with you about the God thing, because I would try to be defending a, a type of God that I was raised with and believed with. But, I mean, I, I mean, so I, we still got some harm for religious beliefs out there, as far as that goes, but... I'm. I feel like like what Quaid's been saying. You know, there's stuff that's in the realm of ignorance. Like we just don't know things, and even our best um, intentions, if you you know what I get, what I'm saying, our best, as far as our best intentions to come to an agreement on understanding of what certain words mean and definitions, um, we're always failing because each word is defined by other words, and it gets into stuff that we just plain don't know. So let me ask you something rather like because like there's an atheist community, I think is very beneficial to the world that's challenging premises um, that that need to be challenged, challenging institutions. But rather than kind of like fo focusing on whether God or not God exists, maybe the the more the far more useful refutation would be of prophetic religion. In other words, like this religion that, that leads to people to believe what they believe because some person 
you know, a couple thousand years ago said it is. And because to my mind, that's the harm of religion. You know, religions say a lot of hateful, divisive things, and and they're based not on logic, not on reason, not on science, but based on what somebody said. So might might not the the atheist community want to kind of like you know channel their their um their attack not on whether God exists or not, but on this prophetic religion that I that I think is is so destructive. Well, basically what you're describing here is this religion, which is basically nothing more than an argument from authority. This person said it. This person knew everything. And so we're taking their word for it because they're so great and smart. That's basically what prophetic religion is about. Or in the case of the Bible, they're, it's, they're just saying, well, this book is true. Everything in it is true. Why? Because it's the Bible. How do you know it's true? Because it's the Bible and it says it's true. Or, you know what I mean? So, yeah, we have to get rid of, well, this is just true. Don't question it This because this person said it or this book said it. And at least open, um, ask those bigger questions. And let's just all admit that we don't know. We're living in ignorance and let's try to get along. <laughs> in terms of trying to get the atheist community to do anything... Uh, it's very difficult because a lot of people have assumptions about atheists, and one of them is that they're logical. And a lot of atheists aren't logical, at least in my experience talking to them. And I'm not trying to denigrate them. I'm like literally talking to them. They don't seem to understand a lot of the rules of logic. And so I don't think they're that I I think that atheism is kind of like a it's it's a mixed bag in a lot of ways. I don't think that you're going to get the focus out of them like they don't they don't agree on free will obviously uh, they get really pissy if you bring up anything apart from atheism so like the second you step <laughs> the second you start talking about homosexuality well that has nothing to do with atheism you know like so it's it's it can be a very vitriolic community as well so i don't think that you could actually funnel that into anything productive it would take a it would take to me it would take a revolution but i think what a lot of this has to do even the venus project or any next step like we have to involve we have to evolve the the humanism idea like we have to get people to fundamentally view themselves as humans differently like that's to me what has always been the next step and i think some if you if you develop that some atheists would obviously rush to that because uh, they're not bound by any religion. Uh, but I don't think you're going to get... You have atheists out there who are very dark, negative people, and there's a lot of them. Um, and they, they don't necessarily want the world to be better. They don't see a purpose in trying to make it better. They're nihilists, you know, so... Yeah, really well, uh, yeah, I agree, Quade. There's a lot of illogical and apathetic atheists out there. And I, I'm fully in agreement with that. And I think I would... For our audience who may not really... We have a lot of listeners, I suppose. Eventually, people we listen to us. Um, I don't know how many people listen now, but here's what I want to say for anyone's benefit who listening to this. The reason I would say that a lot of atheists don't really know how to think, they're not all that logical, is that the people who call themselves atheists, those are the people most often who came out of some religion, some type of prophetic religion like George was describing, where they're not taught how to think. They're taught what to think. Believe this, 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 or you go to hell. And so what happens is something brings that person out of that religion, but by that time they're an adult most of the time. 
they don't know a blasted thing about how the universe works. They don't know anything. They don't know how to think logically. All they know is they don't believe in God or they don't follow that religion. So what they are at that point is a big train wreck. <laughs> That's what they are at yeah. that point. And I or, been... or they're they're just a different religion. Yeah. Yeah. I guess well, I would say. That. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, what I what I would say is they're they're kind of at that state where they're in a transition. They may go to another religion. Or they just may turn out like like me. I'm just like, hey, I just want to make a better world, you know. And that's what I hope more people end up like that, just on, you know, making this world a better place. But basically, yeah, a lot of people are new atheists, particularly. They're stuck in this, like, they're just they're angry, and often they still believe in free will. So then they're blaming their parents, blaming all the people who taught them that religion, you know, and they're getting all mad about that and getting mad about how much of their life is wasted on religion when they could have been learning something more productive. And I and I fully understand what that's like to feel that way. But yeah, we need to go beyond because atheism is not enough. Just not believing in God or not following some religion isn't isn't enough because atheism is a lack of something, but eventually somebody has to find something that they are about. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing about atheists with me. And this is with actually any group. I think that everybody understands logic to a certain degree. And I think we understand it innately. It's axiomatic. So sometimes we can look at it and make the logical conclusion, but we're not ex we haven't thought about why. We're just doing it. And I think that logic and science have advanced to such a degree that it allows a certain percentage of the population to look at Christianity and see kind of very clearly that it's illogical just because of the societal progress of things. So things wouldn't seem as ridiculous back back in the day because they didn't know how flawed memory was, this and that. Well, now that we know all those things, you can kind of point the say, finger and say that's not logical despite and, and be right about it despite that you don't understand what logic is innately. Like you don't understand how it actually works. And so you don't apply it to all areas of your life. You, it just, you just happen to get lucky on that one thing. And this is the same with any, any group. So you can have an atheist who still thinks that, you know, the government's trying to control us through vaccinations. How does that happen? You clearly saw how illogical uh, religions were. You know, you clearly saw how illogical it was, but you you can't see the this that there's a problem with your logic on this other you know thing. And again, it's because I think that they they they're they're they can they can see that it's innately illogical because of the progress of society, but they don't understand logic themselves, so they can't apply it to all areas. They can only really I kind of what you would call an educated guess or a gut feeling. Their gut feeling now that society's progress is that Christianity is illogical. So that's I, what I, I think. Right? Yeah, no, I think another major benefit of our mission to lead uh, humanity to a, a a new consciousness, you know, correct, you know, understanding of, of human nature, of, you know, human will, is that I can't think of another topic that's more um, useful in teaching logic. You know, I mean, logic could be taught through various kinds of, um, you know, scenarios or examples or like, you know, you apply it to, to this or whatever. But I can't think of, of one that, that's more useful because it's so relevant, because it, it, it's so, in other words, like, 
uh, Quay, what you're what you're referring to is, is like what um, this guy Chris Mooney wrote a book about called The Republican Brain, and he was quick to point out that like as with the the case of of um, of the vaccine vaccinations, it's not just a Republican problem. Democrats too that we too often base our opinions, our political opinions, our beliefs, not on what makes sense, but on what we need to believe or on our, you know, fundamental, our um, ideology. So, yeah, so yeah we, in, in order to tackle a whole gamut of major world problems, we've got to understand how to get people to overcome this, what they refer to as motivated reasoning, you know, and, and, and just apply logic to, to these things. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of that has to do with free will too. Like it's a lot of a lot of the free will, free will is kind of giving up the idea of control, and and that you control things. And so once you allow like things like logic to control things, you stop. The gut feeling is kind of like one of my least favorite words or phrases in the world because everybody wants to go off of it. And then some of sometimes it works and it just confirms their bias. And then a lot of times it doesn't work. And then people make really bad decisions just because. They just went with the gut, you know, but quite that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that before. Just the idea that, that free will, you know, belief, you know, um, creates this 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 condition of control that, that prevents yeah. people from thinking logically. Yeah. yeah, we got we should do an episode on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and here's what I would have to say, guys. I know this is real paradoxical, is that people because they believe they're in control, they're really out of control because they're not even aware of the determinants of their own behavior whereas it seems once you realize that you don't have a free will then everything you do well everything you think well why am I thinking this why am I doing that and then that allows you to sort of inspect what you're doing and I think sometimes that leads to a change on like well I don't know why I'm doing this and it doesn't make sense so I'm gonna not do it anymore so what happens is people end up having a sort of self-improvement that happens once they become aware that other things are making them think things you know yeah no, that's exactly it you spend more time in the thought process dissecting things and then you see how connected they are rather than just acting rather than just acting off of pure just, I don't know, I guess you could say will, or just pure, like, going through it, people spend less time evaluating things, and so they can't, I think that when you, when you get rid of the idea of free will, they start to think, well, why, why am I doing what I'm doing, and that's where you start to see not only change, but, like, development, development in, in what we know, because your next question is, how can I be assured, like, that I'm making the right decision, or how can I be assured that what I believe is true, instead of just believing it? Like the the free will to me kind of pulls the, getting rid of that pulls that pin out in some ways, and then you have to actually ask like, what is what are the determining things? What's really going on here, at the fundamental basis of everything? What is determining things? Yeah, and and this this applies not just on a personal level, but sociologically. In other words, like. If we want to like reduce crime and reduce like unproductive behavior, you know, to the extent we believe in free will, people will say, well, it doesn't really matter what we teach or don't teach our kids. You know, they're going to use their free will as adults to do what they want. Whereas yeah. to the extent that we get that nobody has a free will, we will like look for the causes, you know, the sociological causes for for you know the, the undesirable behaviors within humanity, and then just like take 
definite steps to to reduce them. Yeah, and anything like it's why what what's happening at the physical level that's causing people to behave in such way? Not just the soci, you know sociological, yeah, like, but it's everything. It's a, it's the the question of what is determining things is the fundamental premise of science, right? I mean, that's the fundamental premise of any scientific question. Like, what is determining what happens? Well, yeah, that's kind of what science is about any, in a way. I mean, all experiments are based on this idea that if you run an experiment to see what happens under certain conditions, um, yeah, you, you see what happens to what and what causes it. Yeah, so then removing free will makes that an uninhibited question in every respect. Like, it's uninhibited at that point because we're all agreeing we're trying to find out what's determining things and then we can... Most people aren't even allowed to ask that question because you throw on this thing called free will where, while they're happening, no, it's, it's not caused by other factors outside of the person's control. It's just something. It's something. I'm not sure what, but it's something. Yeah. And, and you know, a, a good example of this is, like, people are often just kept from questioning, you know, like, like some kid asked his dad, well, why, why are trees tall? Um, well, well, son, God made him that way. Well, why did God make this trees tall? God works in mysterious ways. Quit asking questions, son. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like yeah. people, a, a lot of parents and a lot of religions try so hard to get keep people from asking questions that I feel like that's part of it. But the other part of it is the free will belief, just because you don't believe there are causes if you believe that you're authoring those everything you do you don't believe that there are causes for what you do you think you're making it all up <laughs> yeah yeah you know we 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 refer to that Searle quote you know that like our world acknowledging the free will is an illusion would be a bigger revolution in our thinking than einstein and copernicus etc you know i think we want to revisit that on a podcast why that is because this is major you know to the extent that we you know more fully more completely understand the um the utility of what we're doing, I think the, the better able we are to communicate it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And another, the, something, so now that we're talking about future podcasts, that, and I think also uh, rhetoric is a big one. Like, we've talked about it briefly, but like, this world is run by, by rhetoric. It really is. It's run by rhetoric and it's run by propaganda. And it's just something like, you know, the reason that you don't like, you know, you don't like Trump, obviously, I don't like Trump, no, you know, nobody likes Trump, but he has done something like magnanimous, like he's done something very unique, which is get a bunch of people to listen to him, right? <laughs> so you have to find out, you have to look at that situation and say, like, what is this guy doing? What are these people who are getting attention doing? that we can apply in specific ways. And a part of it is presentation. Like a part of it is the way that we look, the way that we sound, like every, all of those are deciding how long people listen to us um, and, and and what they're retaining when they listen to us. Absolutely. So I, I think that's also important to have that conversation about how we start to talk about presentation, so to speak. No, you're right. Yeah, because like, yeah, I think like, you know, um, the logic, unfortunately, is a, is a minor part of this. We, we, it's, it's how we say what we say yeah. right now. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the only other thing that I want to, 
the thing with the God thing and like redefining it, like we were talking about with free will, right? Like eventually it starts to mighty the waters. There could be definitions of free will. Like it, would everybody agree to that? Like if I said that the definition of free will is that I'm not coerced by another agent, right? Under those constraints, I am free from that agent impinging on my natural will, which would not occur, you know? But at that point, it's just like, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to keep that definition of free will considering all the other bad definitions of free will there are out there. Is that, I, th I got the impression that's what you were saying in the email in, in certain ways, George. Well, I mean, like, yes, absolutely. And like, so relating it to the God thing, yeah. Um, yeah yes, that's coming. the point, yeah. So like, we right. can redefine God, but is it just so, like, would it even be worth it to call that thing God considering all the other bad definitions of God there are out there? Or, or a better a better consideration, I think, might be Chandler's that it really isn't whether a person believes in God or not that's the problem. It's it's yeah. like this this prophetic religion that like you know the based on authority of some person. Yeah, I, I would agree wholeheartedly. I don't think it matters at all. I, I really don't think that. I think that I could disagree with a Christian and and the world still be the way that I want it to be. You know that Christian just has to understand they can't use that religion to infringe on me in any way. Like that's. There just has to be that fundamental mutual humanist respect, you know, and and certain parameters. I mean, maybe it would, I would run into problems somewhere along the way with us disagreeing, but uh, I'm not going to rule it out. Yeah, yeah no. So it's, it's kind of interesting because uh, I would just have to say that part of the deal is it's very difficult. The only reason that it's hard for people to coexist in society, secular and religious. Is because often people, part of their religion is they have to go and convert people. They have to, they spend so much time and effort and money trying to make other people believe as they do. And then you have things where they believe that they're supposed to kill gay people because it commands the Bible. You know, they, they, they of course ignore a lot of other things like not wearing two types of fabric and stuff. <laughs> and they eat pork and, and stuff like that. All right, guys, this has been great. We're like going on two hours. I gotta, I gotta give somebody a call back. Yeah, right, I gotta. Um, so, this has been excellent. So, and Chandler, listen, like, all right, you're you're directing this podcast. You're doing a lot of like work, uploading and all that stuff. If on Saturdays, like, you 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 choose to not want to record it, you just want to kind of like have it a party, like a Skype party on Saturdays. You know, that's completely. I think everybody would be agree that that'd be fine to just like you know. Have, go to one podcast a week, you know, if you want. If, if you want to record them, that's completely up to you also. Sir. Two, like if, if we spend one day talking and kind of mulling over ideas before actually getting into what the topic's going to be for the next day. Yeah, that totally works. I mean, there have been times, like, I still get on at that time and just in case anyone's up for podcasts. And then what, what sometimes happens is I'll just end up talking with Will and Jamie because they'll be on playing video games. So sometimes it does just turn into a Skype party. And that's the point, Chandler. It's like, let it be up completely up to you. If you feel like recording it, fine. If not, that's fine also. Yeah, that works fine. So I guess I'll, I'll end this episode. It's been good. Um... You've been listening to Free Will, Science, and Religion, and we've been talking a little bit about, you know, how the psychology of people has to change by overcoming free will belief, because that eliminates some of the scarcity and the selfishness that prevents the idea of, say, a resource-based economy happening. And we also talked about um, 
the definitions of God and the, the possibility of the universe being God, but more importantly than anything is we're realizing that sometimes people can have differences of beliefs and opinions, but they can still exist peacefully and work together. And we have to hope it's that way, because if not, we're doomed. <laughs> so I hope we're right about that. And I hope that listening to this podcast was very educational and, and, and entertaining for you. We'll be back with more episodes and interesting topics. Thank you for listening and goodbye.